1 Samuel 9, 15 through chapter 10, verse 1. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. And he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have regarded my people because of their cry, because their cries come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys which were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's household? Saul replied, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall, and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about thirty men. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I gave you, concerning which I said to you, Set it aside. Then the cook took up the leg with what was on it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat, because it has been kept for you until the appointed time. Since I said, I have invited the people." So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. And they rose early, and at daybreak Samuel called to Saul on the roof, saying, Get up, that I may send you away. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he might go ahead of us and pass on. But you remain standing now, that I may proclaim the word of God to you. Verse 10, I mean chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? This is the word of the Lord. You know, as we look this morning, it's... Hard not to want to start a sermon with the words right there at the very end of verse 27 where he says, But you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. I want to start the sermon with those words. But you, (laughs) sitting there, allow me to proclaim a message of God to you. You may have gotten up today with thoughts of tomorrow on your mind. You may have gotten up today with thoughts of work and plans and hobbies. And I'm going to ask that you set those aside tonight that this word can be spoken into your soul. God takes words out of men's mouths that are formed by mouths and by vocal cords and all of these apparatus and sends these words out into the air and into your ears so that they might be heard by you and the Holy Spirit can take them and hide them in your 
hearts. And so today there are four points we want to look at. And the first one I want you to consider is this, the sufferings of Samuel. Now we've talked about Samuel and there's so many things we could say about him. He's raised by a godly woman and a godly father. He is, loves God and he loves God's people and he's spoken God's word to God's people and his words never fall to the ground. And he's gone and he has taken the people to Mizpah and he's preached repentance and the people repented and he's led his, the people in worship of God. And in chapter 8 though, he suffers a very staggering blow because the elders come to him and they point it out to him, you're old now. You remember that? You're old now and your sons, they're not following in your own footsteps. And instead of saying, Samuel, pray to God to help us to walk with the invisible God, they said, we want you to appoint a king for us. We want a champion. We want a Goliath. We want a guy who's head and shoulders above the rest. And so this is a drastic change from everything that Samuel ever represented. And so he is suffering a blow. And in chapter 8, we see he's displeased. He feels intense rejection. He's, uh, he feels personally attacked. His whole life work, if you will, is called into question. He has preached and led people, and you know he's been a great counselor, a great judge for the people, and he feels like it's all uh, been for nothing. He's like a broken vase, one commentator says, and he's broken in pieces, a beautiful vase broken in pieces. And so he takes all this rejection to the Lord in chapter 8, verse 6. And the Lord gives him his view on the matter. This is what the Lord says to Samuel. Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Samuel faithfully stands in front of God's people and he tells them what's going to happen. If you choose this person to be your king, he's going to be a taker, not a giver. You need to get ready for that. And they still persist in desiring a king. And so in chapter 8, verse 22, Samuel tells all the men of Israel to go back home. So Saul, I mean Samuel, he's like a wounded stag and he goes back home to Ramah and he's like bleeding out. We know he stays alive, but it's like we, we've all been, if you've been hunting, you know what I'm talking about. So here's a man who's given his all for the Lord and for the people of the Lord. And he's argued his case and it's not been received and he knows that if they do go this route, they're going to suffer shipwreck against the rocks of this chosen king that they're choosing. So he retires quietly. But I want you to notice how he bears this rejection. He does so quietly. He bears underneath it without complaints. We don't hear him saying anything. In fact, after he gets God's perspective on the matter, he continues to love God and continues to love the people. If you ever wanted to do a study on how to respond when, some, when you're rejected and mistreated, go look at this man's life. He is spurned, but he's not full of spite. And how do we know this? Well, in chapter 9, you remember that, that cute little thing, a little statement there in chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, where the girls tell uh, the servant and Samuel, uh, as soon as you enter the city, you will find Samuel before he goes up to the high place to eat. That's the key point right there. He's still going to go, and he's still going to offer a sacrifice. He's not going, okay, you're not, you've rejected me, you've rejected God, I ain't going to have anything else to do with you. <laughs> That's not what he does. He continues to serve. 
He continues to be there. He continues to offer the sacrifice when maybe he could have had a bad attitude, if you will. And oh, how we need to be more like Samuel. The pain of rejection, slights and slanders. And the immediate impulse that we have is, if you don't listen to me, then I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. If you don't show me the respect I deserve, well, if you keep breaking the fifth commandment in front of me, well, I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. Uh, Maybe you have shared your opinion and it's not been valued. Maybe you've talked to a committee and they have not heard you. Maybe you have been disrespected. What will you say? Will you say, I'm done? That would not be very Samuel-like. You know, you loving wives that we have, uh, sometimes we men... We men, when we sin, we have these Bible says, you know, we talk. sometimes we talk about the fact that we're not so mannerly. Sometimes we talk about the fact that we hurt our wives' feelings. Sometimes we talk about how we're not so tender and not so kind. And it would be so easy for a wife to go, I'm not going to have anything else to do with you today. I mean, y'all never have thought about that. I'm not going to have anything else to do with you for a week or maybe a few weeks. But that wouldn't be very Samuel-like, would it? So rather than act this way towards your um, husband, and who's may, maybe he's hurt your heart. Respond to the invisible King Jesus who sits on his throne right now and love your husband for better or for worse and trust the Lord to take care of him. <laughs> trust the Lord to point out some of those things to him. I want you to consider a mom and a dad who labor over their children. They bring their children to church and they pray for their children and they read the Bible to their children and they teach their children the catechism and they tell their children. Now, we need to be very careful what we listen to. We need to be very careful what comes in the eye gate. We need to be very careful what we do with um, what we wear. We need to be very careful in relationships with the opposite sex. And so we do all that we can and then all of a sudden a child is on the way. Sometimes parents are so rejected feeling. Why did I invest in all of this? Why did I work so hard in all of this? What's the thing to do? Shun the child? Shun the, shun the 17, the 18-year-old? Hate them? What they did is wrong. But they still need to be loved. I remember sitting um, years ago in a, in a home with a woman, and she was sharing that the hardest thing she ever did after um, intimacy before marriage was to go to church. Her father took her to the session and they repented. And then her father said, the hardest thing you ever do in your entire life is going to be tomorrow when you go to church. And she went to church. And they all loved her and they all were bearing up under all things with her. Oh, to be like Samuel... Oh, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, even on the cross, up close and personal, both the robbers were crucified with Jesus and both of them insulted him. And then one had a change of heart and said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, never. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. As we look into this Samuel mirror, Think about a man who bears up underneath rejection and insults and slights and the sins of the people that he might be of use to God as this government changes from the invisible God to a visible king. This is a noble course. He suffers all things in silence. 
Well, second, let's consider the sympathetic ear of the Lord. Now, we looked last week at verses 15, 16, and 17. Those are the verses that help us to understand the whole narrative. And I'll just give you the three bullet points. First of all, Samuel is told that Saul is coming. And then Samuel is told to anoint Saul to be the king of Israel. And then he tells him the reason why. I am full of pity. He says, I have heard my children, my people's prayers in regard to the Philistines. Now remember, years ago at Ebenezer, at Mizpah, the people were provided a great victory against the Philistines. You remember that? There was a great thunder after they repented of their idols, and they, they, that great thunder happened. Remember, they're by themselves, by themselves, and the Philistines are coming, and they have no weapons. And this thunder happens, and God gives them a rout of the Philistines, and they're driven out. But now we have a new generation And this new generation of Israel has left their first love. They want a visible king, and now they're crying out. And here's the reason they're crying out. Because when they begin to leave their first love, what does God promise to do? He promises to bring some Canaanites against his people to drive them back to him. And so for their unfaithfulness, God again is afflicting them with the Philistines. And the Philistines are... In their territory. In fact, listen to this. This is so humiliating. In chapter 13, verses 19 through 23, the Philistines did not permit the Israelites to have blacksmiths in their towns. Now, why would they not allow them to have blacksmiths? They can't make any weapons of war. No about, no spears, no swords. And if you want to have your, your farm tools sharpened, if you want to have your goads repointed, you have to go down to Philistine territory and you have to pay a Philistine blacksmith. So we have Philistines oppressing God's people and this is why they're crying. And yet God doesn't respond by saying, sorry, you rejected me, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. That's not what God does. This is so fascinating. Even as he's displeased with their choice. When the Lord sees these people in their misery and he hears them crying out, it moves his heart. He has a sympathetic ear. You know, when you come to God and you have sinned, when you come to God and you're in misery and you cry out, he hears. And the same thing can be found in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is standing before a burning bush. It's not consumed. He is excited to turn around and check this out. And he takes off his sandals and God identifies himself. And he says the same thing we read in our passage. He says this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry. He's going to deliver his people from the Egyptians. He's seen it but he also heard their cry. And that's what's in our passage. Does the Lord need these cries to know that they are being afflicted? No, he doesn't need it. He sees it already. He knows it already. But it's almost like he loves to hear us acknowledge our need. He loved to hear his people acknowledge their despair. And so we see him turning to his people and intervening in their behalf. You know, the Lord, He speaks to us by His Word and Spirit, and we also have the privilege to speak into His ear the things that cause us distress. The Lord monitors every suffering moment. In all His chastening of you, He is the one who monitors it all. 
John chapter 6, the disciples, um, if y'all remember, you know, he feeds the 5,000. They want to take him and make him their king. So Jesus withdraws from them all and goes up into a mountain. And he sends the disciples across the sea. And for eight or nine hours, he leaves them on the sea, and it's a terrible storm. Oh, no. Why doesn't Jesus stop all this? Well, he does. Eight or nine hours later, he does. He stops it. He knows just how much to measure out to us. There are no tears that you cry and that falls to the ground without him seeing them. There are no torture chambers throughout all history that the Lord did not monitor and control. There's no persecution today that he is separated from. There's no sick bed, no sick room, no hospital room that he's not, sep- he's not there with you. One of the ladies, I, I probably have told y'all a little bit about this before, but I trained, I used to train whole families sometimes. And um, one of these young ladies, she was just as, she's just beautiful, you know. She's so much fun. And uh, her name was Lauren. And she and her mom were on their way to Dallas, and they had a terrible car crash. And Lauren, after it was all said and done, she had no memory of her fiancé. Well, they kept waiting for it to come back, and she has, it never came back. And I'm on this side of it. I'm over here training her, and I used to always ask, Lauren, do you remember me? She goes, Mark, I just have warm feelings about you. I can't remember anything. Well, that had to end. And there was pain and sorrow on her part because she didn't want to hurt anybody, but she didn't know who he was. And there was pain and sorrow on his part, and yet God was not separated from that. Your experience and my experience may tell us that God just isn't present because if He's present, surely this wouldn't be happening in my life. But we need to tell ourselves and understand that God is present when we feel He's most absent. He's always there. Dale Ralph Davis says this, The Lord, I love how he says things, The Lord is mulish in mercy. (laughs) The Lord is mulish in mercy. What does that mean? It means He's stubborn. And it means he's not sinfully stubborn. It means he's very holy and godly stubborn. He's going to give it to you. He's going to give you mercy. So you and I should cry out to it for it sooner than later. Did you get that? Cry out for it sooner than later. Well, third, the slowly unfolding, consider the slowly unfolding will of the Lord. And we could say the will of the Lord for you, the will of the Lord for Saul. Think about this picture. Samuel is dealing with Saul in a most tender way. He's just like God. He's gentle. Here is a giant of a spiritual man up against a giant of a physical man. Here is a man who grew up and he knows the Word of God and he's, he, he preaches the law and the gospel and he loves the Word of God and he preaches the Word of God up against a guy who's innocent, big, tall, and doesn't know a thing. He doesn't despise Saul. He doesn't hold him in contempt. He sees God's will that it's for him to anoint this man and for him to teach Saul things his father never taught him. He's not despising him at all. And so he's going to take him slowly and gradually through the will of God. So first of all, he's going to unfold to him the will of God. And this, as we think about this just for a second, As God deals with you, doesn't He deal with us slowly and gradually? (laughs) We are the ones who expect more out of ourselves than we ought to. Right? Well, that's a statement. 
I mean, listen, I want to go stick myself in a microwave right now. I want to push two minutes, and when it's over, I want to be all done, right? But we're not going to be all done. We said this morning, we're not going to be all done until Jesus comes. This, con- this continuing part of the stage of, of our salvation is happening right now, and it'll be all done when Jesus comes. But I want everything. I want it now. Man, I heard that on football field for 1998, all summer long. I want it now. I want it now. There was some song out there that they sang. I want it now. I want it now. We're the ones that get fed up with ourselves and get angry with ourselves because we're not, we don't know what we want to know. We're not where we want to be. Sometimes we criticize ourselves until we're just absolutely discouraged. Now, there's one thing about confessing our sins and being sorry for our sins. There's another thing about being angry with how God works with us slowly and gradually. Not only do we at times expect more out of ourselves than we ought to, but we also at times expect way too much out of each other than we ought to. Right? (laughs) You ever expect too much out of maybe me? (laughs) I am not Jesus. And I should not expect way too much out of you. I need to remember that, you know, you're married and you have a job and you have things to do. And I, I cherish the moments we have together. But if you expect more out of someone than you ought to, you are cruising for a letdown. Now, I'm not saying that we should not personally, as Paul says in Philippians 3.12, go after it. I'm, I'm pressing forward. I want you to press forward, but... We also need to be patient with ourselves as God is also patient with us. The Lord slowly unfolds his will to Saul in verses 18 through 27. And Samuel, he's outlining the two days that he's going to have with him. And the first day, he's going to take him to a, a sacrifice and then to a feast. The first thing he does is he calms him down. He says, you know those donkeys you've been looking for for three days? They're found. Don't worry about that. Sets him at ease. And then he takes him to a high place. Now, Saul is not used to going to sacrifices. This is not his, has not been the manner of his life. And so Samuel begins to teach Saul about the sacrifice. Why do we need a sacrifice? Well, there's a law of God that shows us that we're sinful. And Saul, you need to understand that you've broken God's law and you need to confess your sins. You need to understand that sacrifices are made for the forgiveness of your sins. This is what Saul, Samuel is teaching Saul so slowly and so gradually. It's so important that he learns, that Saul learns that the shedding of blood is the way his sins can be forgiven. He must trust God by faith for that. And then after this time of sacrifice, the feast occurs and Saul is seated by Samuel. He's seated in a place of high honor with 30 other men. Samuel tells the cook to bring out the choicest piece of meat and to set it aside, that he said to set aside and to give it to, to Saul. And all this unexpected revelation and all this announcement of favor, the sacrifice, the feast, and this place of highest honor and this great piece of choice meat I'm sure it's slowly sinking in on Saul that, you know, this God that I don't really know, he has a plan for me. Everything that happened for the past three days has not just been by chance, but God is calling me to to be a king for the people of Israel. He may have thought it was all just routine, but God has a plan for Saul. And now that brings us to day two. 
And day two is where we have that final statement we started with in verse 27 where he says, But you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. Another passage or another uh, version says that I may proclaim a message of God to you. So they go back to Samuel's house after the feast. They go upstairs and they go on top of the roof. Most commentators say that probably the roof is the place that was coolest. (laughs) Don't we like the cooler places right now? (laughs) And so he goes up there and he talks to Saul. And Saul goes to bed thinking about the will of God. And in the morning, Samuel walks with Saul out to the edge of town. He tells him to send his servant away so that they can talk together. And he says, I'm going to give to you the word of God. What does Samuel talk about? I think we can have, I think we have one helpful statement there in verse 1 of chapter 10. He anointed Saul privately to be the ruler over his inheritance. I think we know it's a kingdom word. It's a kingdom message. You're going to be king of God's people, Israel. Surely, in your sanctified imagination with me, you can think that Saul is captivated. He's full of excitement about the future. And I'm sure that Samuel was gentle and kind and serious. And I think the most important thing, and we're going to see this, you see this through First and Second Samuel, the most important thing for a king, I would say this, the most important thing for a wife, most important thing for a mom, the most important thing for a son or a daughter is this right here. He said, Saul, the most important thing for you to do is to obey the word of God. That was the most important thing. In fact, if you go back and look at De- Deuteronomy chapter 17, what are kings to do? They're to take the Bible and write out their own copy. Saul, the most important thing you can do is to obey the word of God. Now think about that compared to all the other nations. All the other kings of all the other nations, they do, they live by their own lead. I used to always laugh when we watched these little movies the kids would make, you know, watch the Ten Commandments. So let it be written, so let it be done. You know, these guys, they said what they said, they did what they were going to do. It's by their own lead. And Saul, Saul, yeah, you're big and you're tall, but you have to operate under the word very different than these folks you have to humble yourself and be under a word in fact you're going to have to listen to an old man who's the prophet tell you things that god wants you to do and may even critique you at times if you don't do exactly the way you should don't you know that saul is hearing samuel say Listen, when you hear the word, you need to do what I did when I was a little boy and say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. And surely he rehearsed with him again the importance of the blood of the sacrifice. So think about it like this. It's early in the morning. Tender time. Exciting time. The future is looking bright for Saul. And surely his heart is receiving this special kingdom message Here's the question. Will he continue to receive that message? Or will he begin to become hardened to that message? It's hard not to think about these early morning hour and then not go take your minds to 1 Samuel 28 when Saul's at the end of his life. And Saul has disobeyed the word of God. And Saul has become hardened and arrogant and prideful. 
and he has taken himself out from underneath the word of God, and now God will not speak to him, and so he finds himself out with a witch or a medium asking for guidance, and he asks for this medium to bring Samuel up, and Samuel comes and says this. We can talk about that when we get there, but this is what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 28. The Lord has turned away from you. That's judgment. Tomorrow you will be with me. You're going to die. And he did. Saul received the word of God temporarily, and then he began to bristle. He he received the word of God early, and then he began to chafe, chafe under it. And he did not submit as the days went by. This is a message for us. Did you get up thinking today about donkeys? <laughs> Probably not. He did. Dad said, go get the donkeys. And three days later, they're all found. Maybe today you got up and you were thinking about many different things. Uh, my father-in-law used to think about NASCAR every day. If you ask him about you know, what was on his mind, it was NASCAR. Um, maybe you're thinking about your children and your schooling. Um, but Saul gets up and he's thinking about donkeys. He looks for them. He meets a prophet. And at the end of the day, he's going to be the king of Israel. And today God has brought you here. And I think the thing that God wants to teach us, the thing that God wants to teach us, think about your life right now. How do you want it to be at the end? Now some of you say, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, we're kind of, some of us are closer to the end than others. <laughs> you know? Um, Sometimes I want to think about it like this. Um, you know, with young people, I look at Selah uh, back there. I look at Selah. Okay, Selah's 12. So here we are. We're at 12. And then what are we going to be like, Lord willing, we live to be 85, 100? What, what, what are we, what's our life going to look like? Will we be, still be tender like we were in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 10 and chapter 10 of our lives? What will we be like in 1 Samuel 28 of our lives? How do we stay tender and soft like we are here in the, at the end? Well, we have to keep submitting. We have to keep receiving. We have to keep obeying. We have to keep doing the things we did in the very beginning. Some of us, you know, as we think about our young people, they're in the early morning hours of their life. What will we be like at the end of our lives? Well, we must keep humbling ourselves and receiving the Word of God. I'm going to ask this question and then I'll pray. Do you think Saul in 1 Samuel 28 would recognize himself in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and chapter 10? I think so. I want you to be able to recognize yourself as a humble person that you are, God willing, right now, 10 days from now, a year from now, till you die, let's humble ourselves before God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these lessons. Teach us to be those who suffer quietly and willing to do Your will. Teach us to know that Your ear is sympathetic. Teach us always to know that You are slowly and gradually uh, working your word and your spirit into us and making us uh, to know you and to walk with you. And Father, we pray that we might listen to this word and submit to it all the days of our lives so that we might be those who love our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to him in everything. Lord, we pray that for ourselves. We pray that for our children. We pray that for all those around us. May that be our message. 
Jesus Christ is Lord, and we bow and we worship him. We ask that you will strengthen us to do this. We ask that you will take us home from this place, ready to do your will during this next week, that you might be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name.